But thanks so much, Janet. It's a really um, apt uh, Bible reading, isn't it? Um, you know, have you, have you ever had a situation where you long to see someone, but you couldn't see them? Yeah, <laughs> yes. That describes, oh, what is it now? I don't know how many days, but that, that describes the last few months for it, doesn't it? Just to, to be in a place where you long, you love someone and you long to see them dearly. You're concerned for them. But there's just no, no possible way that, that you can do that. Actually, this passage, um, I, I actually had a very, very similar experience to, to Paul. Uh, we took a work party to Greece a number of years ago, and on one occasion, the, the guys were going out to um, have a look at, you know, uh, what, what it was, the, the particular project that they were working on, and um, um, I got an urgent text message from my, my dear wife saying, can I uh, Skype her as soon as I, I possibly could, and, and so I did that. And she, um, there I was, uh, sitting in Athens, um, um, just in the, the reception area of the, the hotel that we were staying at, and, and uh, Bron outlined a, a particular, particular issue back, you know, back, back here at the church that, um, you know, she was quite concerned about. And she thought, oh, Stuart, I, you know, I, I think you really need it back here at this time, but how can it be? God has you there in Athens. And, and of course, Oh, well, I could have could have jumped on a plane to come come back immediately, but we prayed about it, and I thought I think what I've got to do is is write a letter, and uh, so so I did that, wrote a letter to um, to to you all at that time, and and uh, and it seemed that God used that to to minister to folk in that situation. But it it was uh, I remembered back to that to that time. Hey, like Paul. I've been stuck in Athens and, you know, being concerned for people's, people's welfare and, and so forth. And, and that's the situation that Paul finds himself in here. He's had, a, along with um, Silas and Timothy, a wonderful time of ministry um, amongst the Thessalonian church, but difficult, a difficult one because of the persecution. They now find themselves down in Athens and, and unable to, to re rejoin them. Um, but, but this is a passage really about what we prize most. It gives Paul an opportunity to reassure the brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica of what it is that he prizes most. And, and, and so we've just seen that in that, that passage. But verses 17 and 18, as, as Janet just read, Paul expresses his, his longing to see them. He reassures them. In fact, there are some, some people up in Thessalonica, so, so he receives the report saying that, that Paul actually doesn't care for them. Why wouldn't he come and see them if he did care for them? Look, he's down in Athens. He, he's kind of like a fly-by-night type, type character. Um, he doesn't really care for them. And so he's being a bit misrepresented. And so he writes this letter to say, actually, that's not true. That's just not true. Um, he describes in verse 17 how, how really he feels that they were torn away from the Thessalonian um, brothers and sisters like, like orphans. Um, in verse 18, a, a literal translation would read something along the lines of, we have an overwhelming desire to see each of your faces. Um, and, and I must say that in, in part that was... One of the reasons that after experimenting with Zoom, 
we actually decided as a pastoral team the the pre-recorded services were serving were serving a purpose for a time oh but gee, we missed everybody's faces and uh and it's virtual and it's you know we're only got little postage size stamps of of people's faces and so forth and i pity you who are looking at an iphone um i don't know what you can see but okay it's 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 not like it once was but it's something and and paul I, I think he must have wished he had Zoom, that he could just see their faces again. And then there's this surprising um, statement uh, that in verse 18, despite every effort that we made, Satan blocked our way. And what an interesting thought, hey? Satan blocked their way. I, I, I guess when it comes to spiritual warfare, and I guess, you know, Ephesians 6, Paul Paul, you know, uh, gives us perhaps one of the greatest insights we have in all the New Testament regarding spiritual warfare. But Paul actually acknowledges here that in this matter of trying to get from Athens to Thessalonica so that he could encourage, see their faces again and encourage them in their faith, he, he concedes that actually Satan has blocked our way. Now, now how? What, what could this mean? I guess there's a couple of possibilities. In chapter, Acts chapter 17, verse 9, we know that way back when, when the mob um, uh, was, was incited by the Jews and so forth, that they went and they grabbed Jason, a new convert, and, and they brought him you know, to, a, to a public trial. And he actually had to post bond. Perhaps that's it. Perhaps it was a legal impediment. Perhaps if Paul ever came back, Jason would lose his bond and perhaps even lose his house. Or perhaps it's a little bit like in Acts chapter 20, verse 3, where an actual trap had been sent, uh, actually had been set in order to physically bring harm to Paul. We don't actually know. We don't specifically know in what way uh, Paul feels that Satan had successfully hindered them at this particular time. But we do know from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that Paul would write that, that um, the real enemy, the real enemy is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And it's helpful to remember that at this time too. Yes, there, there's an impediment to, to the way that we do church. There's an impediment to how you live life. There's an impediment to how you can, the extent to which you can care for people that you love, to, to which you can see people that you're concerned about and that you love dearly. There's all of these sorts of things. And it does feel, doesn't it, very much like there is an obstacle there. But when you, you narrow it all down, you can say it's because of this, it's because of this, it's because of, well, it's because of coronavirus and it's because of a wet market or a laboratory or, a, or whatever. But at the end of the day, the real enemy is the same enemy throughout the ages. It's Satan. A Satan is the one who conspires again and again and again against, against humanity, especially God's people and especially um, his, his church. Um, John Calvert wrote many years ago, everything that hinders us proceeds in some way from Satan. Satan is continually contriving by every means to hinder or obstruct the church. Now that's fascinating actually, coming from Calvin, who was very much believed in the sovereignty of God. Um, but this is what I think John Calvin is, is, is saying. Remember 
how did Paul actually get to Thessalonica in the first place? Well, there was the call, wasn't there, from the man in Macedonia. Where did he receive that call? From the, from the shores of Troas. What was he doing in Troas? Well, he reports back in Acts chapter 16 that he'd been moving through Galatia and Phrygia and he'd, he'd wanted to go down south into Asia, but, but the Spirit of God prevented them. Well, then um, they, they had a thought, well, let's go north up into Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of God prevented them from doing that. And so in the end, what actually happened was that they, they assumed what God wants here is for us to head west towards Troas. They do that, and on the shore there in Troas, they get the vision of the man in Macedonia calling them. They go over to what is now modern-day Europe, and then firstly to Philippi and then to, to Thessalonica. You see, those other obstacles, those blocks, must have at the time um, been understood to be Satan blocking us. But Paul also knew that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, was using that to, to guide them and to guide their, their particular steps. So John Calvin goes on and he says this, it's true to say that the hindrance comes from Satan, but it is ultimately God who did not permit it. Have you got any hindrance in your life like that? A, a hindrance in your life where, yep, I guess... Ultimately, there's a number of reasons why this is happening, but at the end of the day, it's Satan. Satan has, has blocked the way. He has in some way um, created a, a hindrance or a, or, or a block, and, and, and now God needs to repurpose that. And that's the wonderful promise. It's, it's what we can see here happening for Paul. And it's what Calvin, John Calvin was acknowledging as well. God loves to repurpose hindrances or things that feel like, well, that's just a waste of time or a waste of money or a waste of a wasted season of my life. Whatever it might be, God works all things together for good. That's his promise for those who love him and accord according to his purpose. He always does it. He always repurposes those things in our lives that look like they're a hindrance. He repurposes those things in our life that look like they're wasted, like they've gone, like they've, well, well, you can't see a reason for it. And God loves to repurpose those, those very things. And, and so Paul is longing to see them. Um, so whatever the, whatever the reason, whatever the blockage was that he believes and, and attributes to Satan, Paul is longing to see, to, to see these brothers and sisters. Now, why? Well, he says in verse 19 and 20, he says, the reason I want to see you is, is because of our prize. Um, now, this is an interesting passage as well. In verse 19, he says, for you are our hope and our joy. And then in verse 20, extraordinarily, he says, you are our glory. Well, in what way? Is the Thessalonian church the hope and joy and glory of Paul? Is Paul now trying to take the glory for the work that happened in the, in the church at that time? For the conversions that, that took place? Is that what, what Paul is, is doing? Um, it's, a, it's a difficult verse to, to understand. And it's a, it's a good question to ask because in ministry, any ministry, church, mission work, 
um, whatever it might be, your, your, the ministry in your street. I heard a phrase just recently, um, and it's true, I think more than ever before, um, to every believer, you are the pastor in your street. But even there, there can be hindrances, can't they? And so one of the, or two equal, and potentially, you know, often fatal errors in ministry is firstly to take ownership of the rights, uh, to, to take ownership, sorry, ownership of the results. God moves in a particular way. It might be a miracle takes place, a healing. It could be a conversion. Um, it could be just a, a remarkable uh, uh, breakthrough and, and just the providence of God, perfect in its timing and in every way. But something amazing takes place. And here is, is, a, is a trap in ministry, is to take ownership of that ourselves, to talk about, about my, my ministry and to talk about the healing work or the conversion or whatever it might be as if it was, was ours, to take glory, to take the glory that is due God alone. It's why we like around the church that phrase, soli deo gloria, to, you know, glory to God alone. But it's a work, it's an effort to, to continue again and again and again, to keep giving God the glory. And remember, don't touch his glory. I've said before, there's no limit. I truly believe this. There's no limit to what God will do through any person who refuses to touch his glory. That's one error. And the second error is very similar to it. And, and that is when God moves in a miraculous way, when he does something, is to then leverage that for our own purposes. And it might not necessarily be a bad thing. Um, you see this again and again, but God does something and then we think, oh, wow, I, I know how to leverage that for this. And, 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 and so we can, we can kind of see a move of God as, as the basis by which we might be able to create some momentum for perhaps all sorts of things. But if it's not God who is at work in, in that, then it's doomed to failure. These are particular errors in our ministry. Is Paul now making that same error? Is he somehow overstating this, this sense of, of joy and, and hope that he has in the Thessalonian church by saying, you are my glory there in verse, verse 20? Well, obviously not. I, 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 think, I think there's a way to understand this passage, and the clue is in verse 18. He, he says in verse 20, you are my glory, but in verse 18... He prefaced that by saying, you are my glory crown. The, the, the what was that? If you think about that, that, that um, literally in the Greek, that uh, 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 glory wreath that would be presented to um, a great athlete at the, at the finish of a, of a race. What I think is going on here is, is this. Um, Paul is a sports fan. I think he was. I, I think he must have loved the, the whole notion of a, of a well-run race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he actually talks about the race as an image of the Christian life. He talks often about the race that he is called to run, but he also talks about the race that we are all called to, to run. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, Paul says, when you run up a race and you win it, there's a prize, isn't there? But we don't want to run for that prize that doesn't last. No, let's run for the prize that lasts. Well, well, what is that prize? What's the glory wreath 
um, as an image that, that lasts forever, that lasts for all of eternity. I, I think this is what Paul is picturing. Notice in verse 19, he says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? And here it is, in the presence of our Lord Jesus, when he comes, is it not you? I think Paul is, is picturing the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think he's picturing this, this huge gathering, oh, like we've never seen before. We thought, we thought our gatherings at church were special, but, but imagine all of the people of God for all time, you know, every generation all gathered together because that will happen at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And imagine Paul in the midst there. He doesn't think, he doesn't think too much of himself. There's a beautiful humility in Paul, but he's looking around at that this, this mass of saints from throughout the ages. And he, and he spots the Thessalonian church. And he sees them and he says, oh, that's the prize I want. You, you, that's my prize. That's the glory wreath that, that you know, um, I would run, I would run for. And, and I'd count it a good race if I just had that. I don't want the, I don't want the literal one that's not going to last. I'm going to look around. I want to see you there. I want to see you amongst that number. Um, I want to see I want to see your endurance. I think that's what he's talking, he's talking about there. You see, he acknowledges in chapter 1, verse 8, that the, the Thessalonian church, they had a wonderful reputation, a reputation throughout the entire region. But it wasn't their name, you know, the Vine Church Thessalonica. Um, it wasn't that. It was their faith. It was their endurance and their faith. It wasn't, it wasn't the name that they'd made for themselves as if they had built a tower in Babel. It, it, it wasn't their ministry program. It wasn't their, their worship or their kids program. It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the, the celebrity pastors that they had. It wasn't, oh no, it was nothing like that. It was their faith. That's what, what Paul would be looking for on that last day when they're all together having run his race, the prize that he wants is their enduring faith, their endurance and their faith. And we actually, we actually see that in chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to receive a report about your faith. And so I sent Timothy. I sent him to find out about your faith. But frankly, and he says it, he's, he's being an honest shepherd here. I was afraid. I was afraid that in, in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might be in vain. When I was thinking of, about this particular passage and I was thinking about that, I was thinking about a, a favourite movie of mine because of the leadership lesson in it. It's a secular movie, not a Christian one, but it's called Sully and it's about a, a US Airlines pilot. Um, many of you may know the story. He had to land a plane, an emergency landing in the Hudson River. Um, and um, um, they'd, they'd hit, hit birds through both the engines. They'd lost both engines and, and basically it was a glide. Could he glide to an airport? And, and he felt not. And he made a, a, a split decision. Nope, he was going to have to glide and land in the Hudson River. And he did so. And, and as the movie unfolds, he's 
constantly in the investigation that ensues, second guessing himself and wondering was it the right thing to do and 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 it's proven ultimately that it was it was a very good captaincy but there's this beautiful moment that the the film picks where everybody is is um, um salvaged on ferries and and whatever boats that could get to the to the to the plane before it, it sank and and um and, and now everybody all the passengers and all the crew are on the shore on the quayside the media are there and the mayor wants to meet him and it's this 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 moment and and so somebody from the mayor's office says the mayor wants to meet you and and it's going to be on camera and all of that sort of thing and and it's almost like something doesn't even hear them it's almost like he can't even hear them and he turns to he turns to one of the uh airline industry industry folk that's there and he's and he's he's got the manifest in his hand and he says what's the number What's the number? It's a very emotional moment in the movie. He just wants to know that he did his job well, that he didn't labour in vain. He wants to know that the number of souls on that quayside is the same as the number in the manifest. He says, what's the number? What's the number? He says, we don't know. We're still counting. And I feel a little bit that, that that's what it's like for Paul as well. It's interesting that that in in that industry they 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 talk about souls. How many souls on the boat? How many souls on the plane? And Paul is talking about how many souls will be there on that last day. I my prize. I want to look around and I want I want to know what's the number. I want to know that you're all there. And I guess it's a it's a pretty easy application. This particular passage, isn't it, to our our particular situation? Paul's last words in this passage is, is simply this. I, I, I just want to know. I wanted to know that my labour was not in vain. My labour was not in vain. I think we could all say that, couldn't we? God works through us in, in lots of different ways. Maybe a ministry within a church, a ministry within your street, a ministry within your family, a ministry amongst your neighbours, a, a ministry amongst the friends and the people that are in your sphere of influence. The Lord works through us, doesn't he? And, and the question we often ask ourselves is, have we laboured in vain? Have we laboured in vain? Paul wants to know that he, he hasn't. In other words, he wants to know, what's the fruit? We don't often see it in this lifetime, but one day we will. One day we will, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes again, amongst that great mass of God's people, we'll look around and we'll see the fruit. We'll see the fruit and, and we will know that our labour wasn't in vain. What is that fruit for you, particularly at a time like this, when you, you can't connect with people that you might normally have connected with? You can't check up on people. How are they going in their faith? How are they doing? Loved ones, family ones, perhaps people just recently, recently born into the kingdom of God. And it's difficult. You want to know what's the fruit? What would it be for you? And picture that moment on, on that last day. What, what would be the fruit that would tell you you have not labored in vain? Well, obviously. Um, for me, my application was immediate. Yes, this has been a strange time. 
I know there have been growth groups and pastoral care taking place through growth groups and, and people calling one another and so forth. And, and as a pastoral team, we've tried, to, we've tried to check on people as well as best we can. But of course, it does just go through your mind. How's the church doing? How's everyone doing? Has the tempter got in in any way? Have we labored in vain? Are people doing okay? Because I I know this, on that last day, I want to look around. I want to see you. I want to see you there. I really do. I want to see us all. I want to know what the number is. Only then. For now, I don't concern myself with numbers. But on that day, I want to know. I want to know as many souls as possible are standing there in the presence of Christ and that their faith has endured. What about you? What fruit would you like to see? What would you like to see on that last day? That's a great question to ask. And and may it motivate you in your prayer and may it motivate you in your encouragement of others and as you continue to to reach out. Let Let me pray for us all as a church. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this passage and the, and the heart of your saint, the Apostle Paul, is expressed for, for the church there in Thessalonica. He serves as, a, as an, an example of a good elder, a good shepherd, who in every way tried to imitate his, his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the ultimate good shepherd. We know your heart is for the sheep. They're your sheep, not ours. But they're your sheep and we can trust you because you are a good shepherd. We pray the the prayer of Jude, acknowledging that it is you who is able to keep and sustain your church and present them faultless, blameless in the splendour of your glory on that day. We thank you. Would you encourage our hearts in a season where we might not, because of distance and proximity, be able to see that fruit? Would you nonetheless encourage us that we might receive good news, even reports of the way that you are moving in people's lives? That we might know and be reassured and indeed, any labour that is done ultimately unto Christ will never, ever be in vain. You promise, and we claim it, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for the privilege of, of sharing with you.